Hi everyone, my name is Michaela, and this is the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast, Heartfelt Consciousness, where we spotlight stories from our community to uplift the collective consciousness. Thank you for being here and enjoy the episode. Heartfelt Consciousness. My name is Michaela. I'm so glad to have everyone here with me today and to be introducing Anna Pilar Cruz once again. Uh, she is back with us today to kind of continue our discussion on the goddesses and the gods that we were talking about a little bit a few weeks ago. So today we're going to lean more towards the gods um, and talk a little bit about that. So Anna Pilar, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, how are you today? Oh, I'm well. Thank you so much for having me again. I really appreciate all of you for listening. Um, today, I thought I'd talk about sort of the, the gods as complementary to the, to the goddesses, right? And um, a little bit also about the concept of, of mythology in, in the way that um, in the Indian culture, how they view the gods, right? Uh, and the goddesses. So I wanted to kind of start a little bit just with this idea of <clears throat> what are the gods? And um, as we talked about earlier, uh, a few weeks ago, I sort of laid out them as these goddesses, as sort of this three tri triadic heart, right? And so the, each of them, these goddesses are also complementary or, or have consort energy, of course, which are the devas, the gods themselves. So in Sanskrit, the goddesses are devi with an I and uh, gods are deva with an A. So that's masculine and then feminine. And both of those words, both Devi and Deva, uh, come from the root word div, which literally means to shine or to illuminate. So they are what illuminates us, right? Um, and so when we think about the, the Devas, they also have not just the complementary Shaktis, right? The Devis, right? But there's also what we call the Asuras as well. And we'll translate that word a lot as, you'll see it as demons. Technically, Asura literally means not us, <laughs> right? And so these Asuras, they are, um, they are those that have their own agenda, right? The things in the world, there's many more things in the world that are against us than are for us. But the gods are always in our favor. Right, they view us as their great, 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 great grandkids. Right, so they're not capricious. They're not like the Greek gods of old. Right, that are messing with human lives. They're always think of them more of like, you know, our family members. Right, that are trying to help us. And sometimes they help us. Sometimes they're just benign or indifferent. But they're never trying to mess our stuff up. Like it's never in that way. And so with the asuras, these sort of not us. We think of them. They're going to be petty and vindictive. Um, you know, they're very much in their own self-interest and they're, they're contracted. If you think about evil or demons in the mm -hmm. Indian mythology, demons are always contracting. There's a smallness of presence or being. So very, think about like small-minded, right? Um, they're traditionally viewed as sometimes overabundance, right? So the excess of things tends not to do well for us, right? Um, there's a manipulation or a pettiness. Um, they're selfish. This becomes narcissism. And then ultimately, the biggest evil in any of the Indian myths or stories is nihilism, which basically is the willingness to do anything to anybody, right? And so, you know, these demons are usually portrayed they're either hungry or terrified. They're anything that's stuck, right? They're sort of stuck in their own contractedness. Whereas the devas and the devis, so the devas, the gods, and the devis, the goddesses, are vast. They're inclusive. They're empathetic and sympathetic, right? And what's fascinating to me is that 
when we think of them, and these are usually the three, we talked about the three goddesses last, uh, last time. They're, the, they're, they're called the Maha Devis. Maha means great, right? So these are the Maha Devas, the great Devas. And when we, the word Maha is interesting because when you uh, reverse it, right? So if you imagine putting it up to a mirror and trying to read it, Maha becomes Aham. And Aham in Sanskrit is I am. So we are a reflection of the great. I am that reflection of the great. So aham is like, I make the world. And maha is like, the world, the great has made me. And we're just reflections of that. When we think about these there's three maha devas, um, we have Brahma, who is considered the creator. He looks like a, like a grandfather sort of figure. He's got white hair and a beard. Not quite Santa Claus, but you know what I'm saying? Like he's, he's, he's the, the kind of grandpa that you're like, he's always got a little butterscotch candy in his pocket for me, right? He's always given boons, right? So he's always giving these boons. And then we have Vishnu. Vishnu is the sustainer. Now Vishnu is fascinating because he is one of the characters that you'll find that comes into the world as an avatar. And I'll explain what an avatar is. Um, let's not think of James Cameron's, you know, blue people, okay? But like there's an actual Sanskrit word called avatar. Um, and then we have Shiva and Shiva is considered, we look at these three in, in this group as the destroyer. So think of it as a cycle, right? And we can think of it as uh, Rajas, and sattva and tamas. So Brahma's creation, right? So that rajasic energy, Vishnu is sattva. He's trying to sustain homeostasis, equanimity. And then Shiva would be the tamas. This is that, that, that destruction, not because it's evil, because that, that goes the cycles, the next beginning, right? We cannot start something new until we finish what has happened, right? So we have, we can see them also in those three ways as the gunas. So I'll talk a little bit about Brahma first. Um, <clears throat> one of the biggest stories we find Brahma in is a very, very old uh, text. Actually, it wasn't really a text. Everything was orally transmitted, but this composition, right? But now it's a text called um, the, the, the Devi Mahatmya. And Devi, again, goddess, but it also is light, right? This is the light. So when we think about this, right? When we think about Devi, um, it's this, this light of the world. And that very much is the Shakti. That's very much the goddess, right? So, um, and then it's this, the, the next word, right? So the Devi, Dev, light. Um, and then the next word is Maha, which is great, right? So there it is again, right? The Devi Mahatmya. Now, Atmya is an interesting, it's, it's a derivative of the word Atma, which is the self, but it's a self-reflected, I myself. So it's how the self experiences itself. So the Devi Mahatmya is this text called, it, it translates as the crystallization of the greatness of that universe that is light. And it's a very interesting uh, story, it's text, it's got a lot of stuff in it. But one of the things that we have to think about is very primordial. It's as if, um, it's like you're peeking into if God had dreams, right? Like it's that kind of subconscious, real primal stuff. And in this particular story, we see Narayana, who is Vishnu, right? And Vishnu as Narayana, he is, he is sleeping on this great snake, Shesha. Now, what does this have to do with anything? Well, you know, as, as he is this sort of expansiveness, right? Um, this is with Vishnu, he's the expansive light. And then Shesha is that wave of consciousness, because, right, we don't think 
think of snakes ever being straight, right? There's always a way, right? So this is the wave of consciousness. And then the ocean that literally the snake is floating on, that is has Narayana on, is the, the sort of deep um, collective unconscious. Right. Um, and so this is where I said the thing as we talk about like the world's keep, he's dreaming the worlds into, into fruition from that deep unconsciousness. And out of Vishnu's or Narayana's navel comes this lotus flower. And out of this lotus flower comes little grandpa Brahma. <laughs> he's born old. Right? Like he's just this way. Um, and so he is like newly informed. He's like thinking of the worlds. But unfortunately, we can never have. And, and this is just in life, right? We can never have the sweet without the sour. We can't have light without shadow, right? There's always going to be the, the complement, which is the opposite. So as we have Brahma, you know, being, you know, created, born out of this, this lotus, these two little demons, <laughs> right? And again, they're always hungry and terrified or afraid. They're the things that stuck. And there's, they're called Madhu and Kaitaba. Now, Madhu is, uh, also can be translated as like honey-like or honey-colored, right? Um, it's also the thing that floats. And then Kaitaba is solidity, right? So um, basically, Madhu and Kaitaba are earwax. <laughs> right? So they fall out of Vishnu's or Naina's ear. <laughs> and they're sort of sticky and honey colored and you're like that's just earwax oh that's great well even you know you always have to have what you know the, the the opposite and they they are afraid they they don't want brahma to create these worlds because that means that they would die right that they would have to live and then expire so they're trying to like you know kill brahma or hurt brahma and brahma's like ah freaking out and is trying to wake up vishnu or narayana right so his form is narayana and and narayana is not waking up he's in Nidra. He's in deep sleep. But who awakens is the Shakti. The Shakti that is the complement, right, to Narayana. This is, and turns out that's Durga. Um, again, one of these goddesses, amazingly. She kind of holds all the goddesses together. And she wakes up because she's in Yoga Nidra. And she defeats these, she saves Brahma essentially and, and, and you know, expires those little earwaxy demons. Um, but again, we can kind of see here is this, this very primordial thing of like the world is being created. And with that, there's always going to be, right? That cycle of birth and death, right? And that's why the demons are like, no, we don't want to do this. This will take me to Vishnu. So this is of course, one of the forms of Vishnu in the heavens is Narayana. But Vishnu has, uh, quite a few other avatars. So what is an avatar? So avatar translates in Sanskrit, ava means uh, to go down into, and atar is to cross over, right? Or to, to kind of converge. So an avatar is gonna cross over into the world. And he shows up in 10 forms. The first one is matsya, the fish. Now, Every culture, it seems, in the world has some old sort of myth story about a great flood. <laughs> Here is this one, right? So as the fish, he helps uh, Manu, the first man, to, to get into a boat, right? And he saves the world by doing this. Now they describe this fish uh, with a horn. So apparently he's more of a narwhal, right? Than actually a fish, but this is his form, right? So we have the fish where he kind of takes the boat and finds land. 
The other form he comes, so, so that's the first one. And we'll look at this and we can see the kind of evolution of sort of species moving from water onto land, right? And becoming sort of more primal things to being more human with consciousness. So okay. the second one is Kurma and he's the turtle. And we'll find him um, in the story of the churning of the Milky Ocean. And I won't go too much into that story. There's a lot of stuff that comes out of the Milky Ocean. Um, one of which is of course, Lakshmi, which is very much, you know, looks like Aphrodite, right? The same sort of symbology, she comes up in these waves like this foam, but there's also, um, not great stuff that comes up, obviously, right? So the Amritam or the Soma comes, this is the nectar, the elixir of immortality and life that shows up, but also the Hala Hala, which is an animate, how do you say, I guess is the word, right? Where it's something, the word sounds like the, 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 the object. So Hala Hala means poison. And you're like, if you think about it, if you drink poison, you go, Hala Hala Hala, right? So that's why it's called Hala Hala. <laughs> And Shiva is the one that scoops it up. He drinks the hala hala, but he keeps it in his throat so that he doesn't die, but he keeps it away from the world. So he is, uh, this is when he's considered, he's got the neela, he's got the blue-throated one, right? He's called the blue-throated one. So here he is with the hala hala sustaining. But again, we, the turtle is there because the turtle is like supporting this inverted mountain that like helps to churn the ocean like with a snake wrapped around it. Uh, and it's basically the Milky Way is what we're talking about here. Things like expanding and, and coming up from the Milky Way. There's, we can do a whole other things all about these. We can do a whole part two, three, four, and five with all these stories for sure. But these are just little tidbits. Then the next one he comes is Varna and Varna is the boar. And he helped, so the world gets kidnapped, the world itself. <laughs> And 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 I think it was like Gaia or Boohoo, and she gets put in down in like some other place, like buried. And he, with the tusks as a boar, digs her up and defeats the demon, you know, who, who had kidnapped her or buried her. So again, he's the boar. After the boar, he shows up at one point as Nara Simha. So Nara Simha is the lion man. So he's half lion and half man. And he shows up because the demons are starting to get smart. And Brahma always gives boons to whoever does the work. So we have to remember that in our Indian mythology, this is not a moral universe, it's not an ethical universe. It's a powerful universe. The best thing I can um, kind of describe that as is that you know the, 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 the electric sockets right in your home don't have the wherewithal to be like, oh, that is a fork that a two-year-old is sticking in me. I should not shock them, right? No, it is not a moral ethic, it's just power. Does that make sense? So the demons do their tapas as well. And so they get the boons. Now, usually they can be easily defeated. However, they start getting smart and they start asking for boons that are a little more complicated. And this particular demon had a list of contingencies. He's like, I cannot be killed by you know, a man or God. I cannot be killed in morning or night. I cannot be killed inside or outside, <laughs> right? Like the list goes on, like with a no weapon, blah, 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 blah. And so they're like, wow, this is like a huge fine print, right? <laughs> and he becomes very powerful to the point where they have to like take care of this guy. And so Vishnu shows up, he appears, he comes out of a pillar. So he is not born of, you know, man or woman, right? He's not coming from the heavens or from the earth. He's not fully a man and he's not fully an animal. So he's half man, half lion. So here he is already. We're checking off, you know, the list of what is possible. He takes the demon, not during the day and not at night, but at dusk, which is the in-between time 
takes him to the doorway, which is the threshold, not outside, but not inside, and then lays him over his knee, which is not above or below, right? So he's not, <laughs> the guy is, the, this demon is not in the air, nor is he on earth. He's somewhere in the middle, and then tears him apart with his claws, which is not any sort of man-made weapon. So again, there's like, there's this whole list. So Vishnu shows up to do this, right? To help bring the balance. It's, it's hilarious. He then eventually comes back as um, Vamana. So this is the dwarf. And the dwarf <clears throat> outwits a, a, a demon who got a boon, who got who said that he wants to, you know, rule, you know, the heavens, the earth, and beyond, right? So this little dwarf um, is very like again, he's not very tall, he's not very, you know, doesn't look very strong. But when 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 he's like, if I can, he's like, just give me a boon, you know, you know, oh great, you know, demon, you know. And usually demons, because they're narcissistic, if you compliment them, they'll, you know, of course, give you stuff. And he said, I would like, you know, just, I just, all I want is whatever I can cover in three steps. That, that's what I'll cover. And the guy's like, yeah, no worries, right? He doesn't think this guy's very, and he's inconsequential at best, right? And so, of course, because this is really Vishnu, the first step, he takes the whole world. The second step, he takes the heavens. And the third step, he takes all that's beyond. So again, there's always this sort of, um, interesting mind game right that that the gods are playing with these asuras these it's demons. playful it's very playful yeah uh, there's a lot of wit right they're outsmarting and then after that he comes as parashurama which is rama with an axe who um kind of that's a more complicated story sort of um brings the balance between the the brahmin caste and the warrior caste uh, and then you have Rama, which we all have heard from, from the Ramayana, right? So he shows up and he's got Sita and he defeats the, the demon Asura uh, of Lanka called Ravana. And then he also then comes as Krishna, which there are many Krishna stories. So I'm not even go in there, but Krishna is a very big popular character, huge in the bhakti movement of yoga, but this is another avatar of Vishnu. He's also a player in the Mahabharata and the, uh, of course, the Bhagavad Gita. Um, and then <clears throat> there's a little bit of interestingness here. Is this ninth one that happens? He's either in, in all the older uh, stories he's Balarama, but in the newer ones or the later ones he's Buddha. So he is Buddha, right? So interesting, right? So they, they sort of bring in the Buddhists as well. They're like, oh well, you're really a part of us. So there you go. And then the last one is Kalki, and apparently he hasn't shown up yet. Kalki is the destroyer of foulness and ignorance, and he is sort of this sort of very similar in the sort of apocalypticness in the Christian faith of the, the, the four horsemen and whatnot, right? That they come to kind of cleanse the world. So Kalki has not shown up yet, hopefully, knock on wood, to come and cleanse the world during our Kali Yuga, which is the, the sort of um, time period that things are in darkness, right, and, and not as light. So that takes care of uh, Vishnu for sure. And um, again, like whenever we see Vishnu for the most part, um, his Shakti, which is Lakshmi, his Devi is with him. So there's a girl fish, there's a girl turtle. Like, do you know what I mean? Like things like that. There's always, and then of course, when he is Rama, he, uh, she comes as Sita. When he is Krishna, she is Radha. Now she doesn't show up for Buddha, which is very interesting, but there's another story about that because um, there's a curse that Sarasati put on everybody at one point. And this is uh, one of them is that he would not come, when one of his lives, he would be missing his Shakti, which is why they say, well, that's where Buddhism came because he didn't have a Shakti. And so 
it's very interesting. Not nothing against the Buddhism, but this is how they think. Like, oh well, you know, nothing is real. Everything, like, oh, because you didn't have your shakti, right? Which is the world, <laughs> right? This is part of the prakritic nature. Um, That's really so, interesting how they tried to bring that in and then make that like a thing. Yes, <laughs> how interesting. Kind of make like a, a an ex, not not an excuse, but like an explanation for it. Right, right. They're like, oh, that's how Buddhism happened. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Right. I mean, again, remember Buddhism did start in India and then, and but it really took hold uh, as it moved further east, right? So um, into Nepal and beyond. So um, the last one I'll talk about is Shiva. And Shiva is a very interesting and more complicated character. And again, I just want to make sure here, all the stories that you've heard, like if you Google them or you have books, all of them are correct. There's no single right story, if that resonates, right? They all, if you think of it as just like, all of them are have value, right? All of them will teach you something. So Shiva is an interesting character because he's one that you can kind of see um, a very interesting progression from in the very earliest forms of him as Rudra or Bhairava, right? And Rudra you find in the Vedas, in the Rig Veda, he's the howler, right? He is, it, this is where we get the word ruddy from, right? With, and if anybody has been around a child or someone who gets very angry, um, they tend to get red in the face, you know what I mean? You know, that is Rudra, that is the ruddy, right? Like that kind of idea, he's the howler, ah! Um, and his progression then becomes a little bit more interesting as he, as it sort of time moves on, um, he becomes like a sort of mendicant, sort of ascetic outlier figure, and then he becomes a family man, which is very interesting. So you'll see a whole gambit of, of sort of Shiva in, uh, images. Um, and so I'm just going to talk a little bit about uh, Shiva, also because he is one of my favorites. And I did get to go to the uh, Janamram temple in India, which is the great Nataraja temple. So there's lots of um, stories, especially in South India, uh, that vary a little bit differently from the North. So I'm just gonna talk a little bit about that right now because India is a melting pot. It's a huge, huge uh, continent, <laughs> right, country. And North and South have a little bit of a differences when it comes to some of the language, as well as, um, you know, a, a little, it's a little softer culture in the South than it is in North, if that resonates. So uh, there's a lot of fertility, like a little fertile nature in the South, where this is where the rice is, is grown. This is also where the spices come from, so think Tamil Nadu and Kerala, where we don't have that necessarily, that same sort of agriculture in the North. It's a little bit more um, <clears throat> mountainous, right? And it's, I wouldn't say as fertile. Um, as you know, agriculturally. So when we think of that, we can think of it kind of like masculine encoded or feminine encoded, right? So, you know, feminine encoded is going to be more of cyclical nature, right? And we think about this is very much tied into agriculture, whereas the North is not going to have that same necessarily connection. So when we think in North India, we see Shiva in sort of three places. They have like three main images of Shiva. And the first is him on the mountain top where he is the yogi, he is like doing the yoga. This is also, he's, um, the mountain Shiva is sort of the Bhairava, he's ferocious in his power, right? He's got the tiger skin, he's in Padmasana, lotus pose. He is on the mountaintop, so he is um, completely exposed, right, to the elements, but is ineffected, like unaffected by that exposure, if that makes sense. He is, un his view is, um, yes, there he is. His view is unobstructed, um, he can see everything, right? Uh, so this idea is that he has this vision, and and so he's show, he heals. He's there to remind us that the all is still the one, right? All that is seen is still the one, 
the one is in the many. And in this particular <clears throat> images of him, you'll see sometimes there are clouds and there's usually sometimes when you look at the mountain, there's five clouds. And these actually respond to the five kanchukas. And we hear this in Yoga Nidra, right? About these five kanchukas. If you've studied any IRS, uh, anything from Richard Miller, he calls them the, the pointer sisters as well, right? But these five clouds um, are, are sort of the, the stages to reach the peak, right? But you know, these clouds are, are part of the Maya, the illusion, right? And so um, that there's the Kala Kunchuka, which is the limited doing versus being omnipotent, right? So he's the one at the top. He's the Parash, you know, Shiva. He's the one that's the omniscient everything. As we move into the world, right, we start getting limited, right, of what we can do. So we'll be, we're no longer omnipotent. That's one of the clouds. There's the Vidya Kunchuka, which is limited knowing. So we're not omniscient, right? There's the Raga Kunchuka, which is that we're imperfect. That we, that we think we're lacking versus perfection. Um, there's the kala, so there's kala and kala. It's a little bit different with the, the, the A's there, um, but the kala kanchuka is time bound versus being timeless, right? So these illusions that we are not timeless being, right? Because we do, we're, we're in this mortal form, obviously. This is how we're moving into this world. And finally, the niyati uh, kanchuka, which is being contracted versus omnipresent. So those five clouds actually are there to remind you that like all of those things are still as part of the Maya's illusion. We are still very much the, in the seat of Shiva as well, right? We are on the mountaintop. However, we keep forgetting because we're in, <laughs> we're further down the valley, shall we say, right? Um, now the next one is the cave dweller uh, you'll find in the north of Shiva. And the cave dweller is him as, I keep going, it's the lingam. I think I did the lingam. So it's that, um, there we are. This is the uncarved block, right? So this is, um, in the cave, there is darkness, right? The caves are dark. It's pure absorption. Everything um, is possible because it hasn't been created yet, right? So think of it as the inverse of light. So it's very a deeply mystical interior. And it's not an engagement with the world, but an engagement with the entirety of all as present by its perfect absence because it's all the potentiality that could happen, right? So it's the, un they think of it as the uncarved block. Um, it usually is represented as this lingam, which looks like a phallus for sure, right? So this sort of potential of energy and it's in what appears to be like a yoni. So there's not, it is the potential there, but it hasn't um, expanded out yet, if that makes sense. And so, <clears throat> The last one is the up in the north is him on the cremation ground, and um, you'll see him sometimes in the cremation ground with Kali uh, on top of him, <laughs> and he is he is here as uh, as as the as a corpse as Shava. So so sometimes the, they they'll say Shiva without his Shakti is Shava. So he is a corpse without his that 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 Shakti power. But when we think about the creation ground. This is this sort of mixed alchemical process of light and dark, nature and culture. It's an alchemical process. Um, you have to be, so when you expire, when you die, you have to be brought to the cremation ground. So you don't just show up there. Like you, so there's this whole process of sort of transmutation. You're no longer, um, you know, in this world of many, you've become what they call basma, which is the cremation ass. Ash. So we are all exactly the same ash, 
right? So we think about this in sort of the Christian saying of ashes to ashes, dust to dust. This is the idea, like we are still eventually all end up the same, right? Um, and so it is this sort of distillation, right? Of this sort of uh, process um, that he is now Shava, he is the corpse. Um, and he does this to, to save the world because she kind of goes a little crazy. And so he lies down as a corpse and she dances on him and then realizes, oh, it's him. And so she stops and the world gets to survive and he pops back up. But again, that's some of these stories. Um, but when Wait, we- that is so cool. <laughs> Hold on a second. Yes. Can you, can you describe <laughs> that just a little bit once again? For sure. So um, there's a point where she is, uh, again, the goddesses are so powerful. They're usually called to really, you know, come in and take care of the demons that the gods can't really handle. So you'll get Kali or you'll get Dorga, like one of these really powerful sort of feminine forces. And she does this dance and as she's dancing and she's destroying the demons, she doesn't stop. She's sort of in that sort of tandava, this possession, right? She's dancing and dancing, but she keeps destroying everything. Like they're like, we just need to destroy the demons. Wait, wait, wait. But she's, you know, you can't snap her out of it. So she is, Kali is a form of Parvati who is uh, Shiva's consort. That is his compliment, right? His Shakti. And so he lies down to save the world. And so she ends up dancing on him, right? Pummeling him. He's like, you know, becoming a corpse. But that's when she realizes that's her love. That's her beloved. That's what snaps her out of this sort of like crazy dance of destruction is because he lays down and, and, and lets her dance on him. I love that. <laughs> that is so cool. It's a really that, fun story. And it gives so much more meaning to this really beautiful already like image right here um and then for those viewers that can see this you can see the the snake wrapped around shiva as he lies there yes that's so cool thank you for sharing it i'm sorry that i interrupted you no Um, no snakes represent um snakes so there's a couple words for snakes sarpa is one the other one is ahi and ahi is where we get the word anxiety so snakes are always anxious because they don't want to be stepped on Right. <laughs> and so he is a master because he has his snakes wrapped up. He can control his anxiety. <laughs> this is even, I got chills. That is so cool. Okay. Isn't that interesting? Um, now, when we go through to the South, we see Shiva also in three places. So when we think of um, North India in the three places, they call it Uttara Shiva. But in the three places he is in, 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 in the South India, he is part of the Shaktas. So he, he is, so you'll notice that in, you know, this image we have Kali, but there's a lot of images where you'll find, um, and they're harder to find, but you'll see on the temples where he's just a corpse, right? And so, and this is why we have that um, images of the Agoras, right? These um, mendicants that are still in India that live in the cremation grounds are covered in, in ash, right? They are basically emulating Shiva if that resonates. Um, so <clears throat> when we go to the South, the, the, uh, the, the Shaktis are always there. The Devis are there. So his, so they, you never see him without, um, uh, without his consort, without his, his, his feminine counterpart um, in, in, in ways. So the first one is the, the palace dweller or the, or the temple dweller. And this is, um, uh, he's the, yes. And keep going, keep going. Nope, okay, so it's the one that has, sorry. 
It's Dakshinamurti. There he is, Dakshinamurti. So notice that when he was on the mountaintop, he was in Padmasana, he was in lotus pose. And now when he is Dakshinamurti, he is the teacher. So one leg is down, right? So he's just taking the leg down because now he's in the world, right? Now you'll see that little uh, guy underneath him, that's forgetfulness, um, which is fine. He's a little demon and we'll talk about him. He also dances on him when we talk about Nataraja, but I'll talk about that later. But he is surrounded by people. So he's not isolated on the mountaintop. He is now in the temple or in the palace. So think of that as the way we think of in the Greek sort of culture where the philosophers would be in the middle of the temple or these you know, big arenas and they'll be arguing and you know, uh, having conversations. Like this is the whole point of him now as Dakshinamurti is that he is seated as the teacher. So he is, he is, he's got exposure in the world. He's not just above the world, right? With the, the, those clouds, the kanchukas, all this like separation. He is now in the world and he is there you know, where as a representative, where you, this is the world where you have conversations, whether you teach, where you learn, where you debate, where you're held accountable for the conversation that's happening, right? Um, you are um, educating so that you can change and learn and grow, right? So he's a part of this process. So it's not, it's versus, you know, oh, I'm way up here, you know, away from everything. I am here in the world, right? And so, it's a little bit different um, where even though, yes, they have him seated above, he's on the same level, if that makes sense. So it's becoming a more horizontal model, which is we considered more feminine encoded versus a vertical model, which is more male encoded or a hierarchy, right? So here he is in conversation and the conversation will turn and move, right? And so that's the idea. Um, <clears throat> so the next one that you see him in, uh, a lot of images in South India, um, is the householder. So it's called Somaskanda. And this is him with, there he is, he's in the family portrait. And again, it's like, wait, he's not in a dark cave, like by himself, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> when you can't see, no, no. He is, here is the expansion of that, right? Here is the, uh, you know, the, that potential energy now has fractalized into the family. And so we have him seated. And again, you notice that he's in the same position as Dakshamurti here. He's not, he's not in that isolated Padmasana, right? Yoga suit, the Lord of Yoga pose. He's teaching, he's the teacher, his foot is down. And you have, there is Skanda, which is his son, uh, who also is known as Kritikeya, he's got a little peacock next to him. They've got Ganesha, right, who's his other son. And there he is, I think his rat is somewhere over there too, and Parvati and his bull Nandi and Parvati's, uh, who also is an aspect of Durga. So she's got the lion behind her. Um, and so, you know, here he is in, you know, in relationship, right? Um, he is not this formless, he is now in form, right? It is, um, Ver, you know, so, you know, he's raising a family, right? Um, so there's this self-reflected intimacy, right? So the cave is still there. If you can see, there's still the lingams because that's where, you know, the, that's where the intimate interior conversation happens, but there's also this outward expression of form from those conversations or intimacy in the darkness, right? Um, now, again, when the Northern Indians, like, saw these images when they migrated south, they, they very much were like, what? So they put the lingams there to be like, hey, it's okay. He's, the lingam is still there. 
Um, but they were like, I don't understand why there's these family portraits and that's okay, right? But there's a plurality in the form, right? It's the one as a family. It's the one as many versus the one being isolated. And this idea is that the oneness is always a composite. It's never a singularity. Oh. Um, and so we have a much, we have a much more complicated sort of view here. And then finally, the last image you see of Shiva, and this is him in the forest. Um, this is him as the Nataraja. So this is the dancer, there he is. Um, now, what's interesting is what we saw in this previous two, they're very much horizontal, right? So it's like him, Parvati, his kids, like they're all on the same sort of level. Even him as a teacher, he's not, way above, right? It's this horizontal model. Whereas in the North, it was very much a vertical model. He's in the top of the mountaintop. He's in this you know, mountain cave, right? Isolated, this lingam that's definitely vertical. It's very much a vertical model. And then the only time you saw a horizontal was when he was the corpse. Well, we have sort of this complementary opposite in the South where we have the first two as horizontal. And now we have a vertical model here. So this is the first time we have here in the South like he is vertical, he is the dancer. But he is not linear. If you notice in this image, and again, in all of the, the murtis or the sort of um, uh, uh, forms, right, that you see, you'll see in brass or like, you know, sort of, there's not a single, of, of the Nataraja, there's not a single straight line in these images or in these little representations. Um, it is always, uh, uh, what we call vikrupti, it's always twisted, right? Um, and the, the idea is that there's also, it's asymmetrical if you notice too. It's not symmetrical, it's asymmetrical. So one leg is doing this and then the other. You know what I mean? There's, you know, the hands are sort of placed in different places. Like it's very interesting. So the idea is this, this, this asymmetrical being is that because space bends light, right? And Nataraja fills that space and bends the light. What's interesting is that little, demon right there is named forgetfulness. He dances on forgetfulness um, and he's looking up, right? Cause he's not dead, but he's looking up to receive the Nataraja's grace. So in this image, forgetfulness is, it's, it's a part of the gift of wakefulness, interestingly enough, because Maya is forgetfulness, right? us being in this, this fractalized world, this prakritic world, this Maya. Now again, remember Maya does not mean um, illusion, even though it's transited a lot as illusion. Maya means to measure. And the thing is about in this measured reality is that we don't see all of it. We only see a third of it. Two thirds is hidden. That's the illusion, right? The illusion is that the this, this seat that I'm sitting on is solid. But if we look through a high-powered microscope, there's more space between the atoms than there is connection. The illusion is that the earth is flat, right? <laughs> and that the sun goes around the earth. These are all, this is all the illusion because we're not seeing the full measure of things. Does that resonate? But this idea of the forgetfulness being a gift is that because without forgetfulness, you don't know, you, you won't have the delight of re-remembering, <laughs> right? Yes, so, it's uh, like the falling into forgetting to remember, and remember again. again. Yes. And so that I think is a beautiful thing is that it's just part of the Maya. So we shouldn't beat ourselves up about this, but we can always re-remember and we, there's a delight in re-remembering, right? 
I love this. And you know what, as you're talking and I'm looking at this beautiful um, depiction of Shiva, I've literally never put two and two together that the actual asana posture dancing Shiva, um, hello, is this quite <laughs> literally this. Um, and I'm thinking of this whole theme that you could, that I could do yes with all of this with the yes. forgetfulness like I love this thank Feeling you of it of course now what's fascinating what I love when I went to the temple uh in Chinambaram the Nataraja temple in Chinambaram because this uh, they have you know a, 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 a statue or murti of, of the Nataraja you're never allowed to actually approach it head on so you can you can walk into the temple and then you're forced to go you know, either direction left or right because when you look at it head on, it just, it's a two-dimensional sort of thing. Does that resonate? And, you, and yes, you can kind of see the asymmetry, of course, but when you move to the side, it becomes three-dimensional and you see all the asymmetry. Now, this is also connects to the story of um, the uh, Tilai forest. And so he's dancing in the Tilai forest right now uh, in this image. And... <clears throat> This particular um, story, there's uh, uh, lots of you know, iterations, but there is a beautiful um, compliment here when it comes to Patanjali, who's the, the author of the Yoga Sutras, and Vyagrapada, who's the father of Tantra. And so there's a whole story that like Vishnu ends up seeing what, what this dance is. Now this is called, and you see Shiva in this form, this is called the Ananda Tandava. Ananda meaning bliss, right? So we think happy baby, right? You know what I mean? Like that's Ananda, <laughs> right? Or we think, uh, you know, the, the, the Ananda Kosha, right? The Ananda Maya, it's like, that's the bliss body. So this is his dance of bliss. Now, Tandava does not mean dance. In Sanskrit, Tandava means possession of. So he is possessed of bliss, so he has to move. Like, does that make sense? Like, it's a dance that you cannot help but dance. So those of you who, you know, are a little bit more kinetic, right? In, in or have more, you know, that sort of your, you're more tactile, you know, like a piece of music comes on, sometimes you just can't help but push the tush. You know what I mean? Like, that's the sort of idea of a tandava, right? It's like, you just can't help it. It's happening. You can't stop it. This is what the Ananda Tandava is. It's not just even doing a dance. Like, he is possessed of this and he cannot not dance right so Vishnu sees this and is like what I've never seen him do this before and goes back up to the heavens and like lays on Shesha as you saw as the Narayana but he can't get comfortable he can't get this dance out of his head and so Shesha is like what is going on you have the wiggles and you can't I don't know why you can't just sleep and get comfortable this is crazy you know and this is again is this before or after the story of Brahma? Who knows? It all is happening at the same time. You know what I mean? Is him is lying on that shesha, that big snake. And shesha means the re is, is Sanskrit for the residue, the remainder, right? This is why he is that like that wave of consciousness, right? Is that and it moves through him into the, the ocean of the own conscious, right? But Shesha is like, what is happening? And he's like, I saw the Ananda Tandava. I saw Shiva do the Ananda Tandava. And it's like a perfect when Harry said, uh, Sally moment, Shesha's like, I want what he's having. I want to see this too. And so he's like, how do I see this Ananda Tandava? Vishnu, you got to tell me. And he's like, you can't see it in the heavens. You can't see it in your form. You have to go to the earth to see it. You have to see it on earth and you have to um, be human, as human as you can be. So Shesha's like, all right, I'm going to do that. So he 
he's a burrowing snake, he's a cobra, and he burrows through all the worlds of the heavens and then like trying to transform himself into, you know, basically trying to be an avatar, right? To cross over and be a human. But because he's not a Mahadeva, because he's not, you know, the, this divine, you know, great light, he is, he is, not, he is just a great snake, right? <laughs> he doesn't quite fully get the full human form. And so when he falls out of the sky as a little tiny being into the uh, hands of um, a, a praying um, yogini, right? She has her hands in Anjali Mudra, but the expression of where the fingers are all apart. So it looks like the lotus blossoming and she's praying and she's praying for a child. He ends up falling pot, into the Anjali of the Mudra. That where his name comes, but is the, the literally the sound of oh, him that is so falling cool. with Anjali. Anjali is the mudra. What? Anjali. So he falls into this and he quickly grows up. Okay, bye, mom. And he goes to the Tilai forest to see if he can see the Ananda Tandava. So Patanjali, if you've ever seen images of Patanjali, he is a half man, half snake figure because he was Shesha. He couldn't quite get all the way human. So you'll see images, look up Patanjali. He is man from like the torso up. He's got a snake body and tail. And then um, he also has like a hood with like little, little cobra heads. So he is literally this sort of, you know, he's Shesha that is trying to come into the form as, uh, into the world as, as a human. So he moves and goes mainly to the Tilai forest. Um, which is a place, it's a liminal space. The Tilai forest, the Tilai trees are actually real trees. They're a form of mangrove tree. Um, and most of them have been destroyed because they are highly toxic. They're poisonous. So the sap will make you blind. Yes, they are very toxic and it's even toxic to burn them because that smoke will also kill you, yes. So very few things live in the Tilai forest, but things that are very adaptable. And one of the things that you'll see in the Tilai forest in these mangrove trees are orchids because they're safe there and they're air plants. They're not, they, you know, it's symbiotic, right? So they're safe up in there. So he, Patanjali is racing around trying to find, he was told by Vishnu to find a lingam. That's the form of Shiva as the potential, right? And so he's looking around and he finds this lingam. He finds this perfectly uncarved block that has orchids placed around it. Obviously, someone has been doing pujas in front of it. So he's like, this must be the perfect, this is it. This is the place. So he's looking around. He's like, I need to do a puja. I need to do an offering. Like I need to like, so I can see the Tandava. But he's a, he's, he's a cobra. He's a burrowing snake. He's on a tree snake. And he's like, I can't get to the orchids. Like, so he's looking around and he's noticing but he feels that something is watching him. He's got that little, you know, the hairs on the back of his neck. And out of the darkness of the forest, and again, this is the liminals, light and shadow, right? He sees two eyes and this person walks out on tiger paws. So it's this man that's got now half tiger. He's got tiger paws and his name is Vyagrapada, tiger paws. Now we also have a, a uh, yoga pose called, you know, Viagra or Viagrasana, right? So it's like you, you you take the tiger by the tail, right? You know what I mean? You hold, yeah. So he is he is the, the father of the evolved of Tantra. So he comes out of the forest and he is not totally threatened by this dude because he's like, well, he's also a half, you know, animal too. So he might belong here or whatever. But he's sort of like, he's the caretaker of this liminal space, this, this, this forest where sort of, um, I kind of think of it a lot like those old, old Christmas 
um, movie where it's that that island of the unwanted toys. I'll remember of that, right? So this is where like all the sort of outlying things sort of ha have a place, right? Because they all need a place. So he sort of protects these and he's like, who are you? And he's like, well, I'm Patanjali and I hear it's about the island of Anandatandava. It's this huge dance. It's supposed to come out, you know, Shiva. So he's like, oh, he's like, well, he's like, I'll do the puja with you. Um, I'll get the orchids. He's like, you find something. And so as a burrower, he's like, all right. So he starts to burrow around and he finds these little red seeds. These are the kumkum seeds that they make eventually, the kumkum powder with some turmeric that they put on their eye. And aha, this is the powder. So he offers the kumkum seeds. So he, because you have to only offer what you're able to do, right? You can't take somebody else's offering. So Viagrapada gets the offering from the, from the trees because he's got the tiger paws. The trees don't affect him. He has literally become one in this forest where he has changed that he's adapted that he can actually live there. And so he brings the orchids and, you know, uh, Patanjali has the kumkum seeds and they do the puja and everything goes well. And out of the lingam comes Shiva and he does the Nataraja. He says, and he's doing the Ananda Tandava. So he's dancing and they're like, what? Now, if you go back to the image for a moment, they're not in front of him, they're on either side. Because again, you have to see it from the sides. So if we're looking at this image head on, Patanjali is gonna be on our right, which is Shiva's left. And if you notice, there's a leg and an arm that's crossing, there's a block. Does that make sense? So what he is seeing is he is seeing the dance, the DT, but he does not see himself as um, connected or being one or a part of that. So he is a dualist philosopher. So the dualism, of course, is that there is a God, it's not me. Like, did you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, okay, so there's like that separation. Now, Vyagrapada is on the opposite side. So he's on our left, which is Shiva's right. And even though those leg, the leg and the arm cross, if you go to the side on these things, there's actually a space. And you can see directly, he sees directly into the heart of Shiva. So he is non-dualist. He sees himself and Shiva as one. So in this image, we have Patanjali and we have Vyagrapada there. And he's doing the dance, but he isn't actually doing the dance for them. Who we don't see is the person who actually is in front of him, which is not our seat, right? We have to be to the side. It's Parvati or Kali. It's his beloved. He's always dancing for his beloved. So the Shakti is always there, regardless. That made me a little emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? I love that. So it's lovely. And there's uh, more to the story, of course, but um, uh, I will uh, see if I can send. I don't know if we'll be able to, I do have a picture and I should have snagged it. Uh, I was in the, we did a bunch of pilgrimage and we did a bunch of tours of, of, of the different um, temples all down uh, the coast of Tamil Nadu. And um, in the Manakshi temple, which is um, in Madurai, uh, there I have an, a, a picture of, an, of one of these temple frescoes, right? You, you don't take pictures inside the like, sanctum, but the, all the stuff outside of it you can. And it's a fresco and it is the wedding of Manakshi, who is also from a Parvati, uh, but she's like in this world, uh, and Shiva, who's a prince in this, in this story, it's interesting. And 
um, all of her like sort of human family is there. And then all of his, like the wedding party, his wedding party has a bunch of different sort of characters, shall we say, because she uh, always collects all the, the unwanted ones. But in there, you will see there is a there is Patanjali and Vyagrapada both standing there with gifts. Like it's like, and there is the half snake, and there is Vyagrapada with his like you know tiger paws, um, and so they're very much there just to to you know bless Shiva in the wedding. But it's just like there they were, you know, at the dance and where they got. So, you know, the boons that Shiva does gives them after the dance for Patanjali, he gives him the gift of Ayurveda, so long life. So the knowledge how to extend your life. He gives them the gift of grammar, right? Of Sanskrit so that he can actually like compose the, the uh, and then they, then he gave, gives them the secrets of yoga which is why he has the yoga sutras. But you can't compose the yoga sutras without grammar, <laughs> right? And it takes a long time to do all the yoga. So you have to have the Ayurveda, right? So he gets those three. Those were his boons from his offering to see him dance. Yeah. Okay, what, what was so 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 Patanjali goes like yay and he got those boons right and he's excited and he because he's like I want to know that dance I want to learn that dance and he's like well I'll give you the boon of this dance but you need to learn these three things you need to learn yoga you need to learn grammar and you need to like you know, have a long life to figure all this stuff out and so you know when we look at the history of like who was Patanjali we really don't know there's like a 400 year period of certain works that are um, attributed to him one is so he didn't compose Sanskrit, but there, that was Panini, but there's a famous commentary by Patanjali about the Sanskrit. And so, and I'm like, huh? And then there's the Yoga Sutras, and then there's also a Ayurvedic text. Now they're not anywhere in the same time period. So it's like a span of like 400 years. So you're like, well, I guess he had to be half snake, right? And long life of Ayurveda to be able to do this. That's great. Now he toddles off and is excited, but then he asks, um, Vyagrapada, <clears throat> he's like, well, you know, do you want to learn the Ananda Tandavat you? And of course, it's Vyagrapada. And he's like, ah, what else you got? And he's like, there's seven other dances. <laughs> and is like, bingo. So this is where Tantra comes from. So it's the difference of we, and again, him being non-dualist. Does that make sense? So it's very interesting. But they all sort of all of this is sort of tied in these images, uh, you know, that you see represented. And I think it's fun because you get reminded of the stories and the philosophy when you start to look and see these images. Um, and so that's why I think, you know, I love talking about the, the three different shivas from, you know, between North and South. Um, but I think it's also interesting to see that like, you know, in the North, it's very much an isolated, you know, sort of model. Um, and, and the South, he's very much in the world. Uh, so. And again, um, I know I've given, I gave you this quote and uh, I'll just read it real quick. Um, but what I love about this quote, this is a quote from my teacher, Dr. Douglas Brooks. Um, I think this is when I, I have always loved stories. I've always loved mythology. And when I found Indian mythology and stories, it was really, I thought so expansive and so um, layered and also so human in, in a lot of ways. And, when um, my teacher says this quote, I'm like, ah, oh, this is why, this is why I connect to these. And he says, deity works as mirror. So think reflective, prism. So think holographic, right? Fractal and window. So think transparent and a threshold. Light goes through the deity to open you up to more. 
God is glasses. How does the world look when looking through deity? What we see is a reflection of ourselves. I love that. And I think that that's a, this, uh, that quote specifically, and then just kind of everything that we've talked about, especially with like the difference in how we see Shiva presented in the same country, just geographically a little bit separate is that perception is so different. And I love that. It's the reflection, it's the window, it's all of it. And neither one is wrong. They're I, just, yes. they're just different sides to this. I think same that's what's thing. the best. And that's why everyone, I, I say everyone, I'm, I'm projecting here. That's why a lot of people, I think, enjoy this such sacred and special spiritual practice because it is so inclusive and dual and non-dual and all of the things all at the same time. Reflective, self-reflective, all of it, right? Everything. Well, I so appreciate you letting me uh, rattle on about oh, all of these. Um, thank you so much. I know for me, I have, it was been so, it's been so fun to listen because like you said, it's pulling in all of this philosophy that I feel like I know from my just foundational yoga teacher training and giving it this like very creative and expressive kind of spin. Yes. Um, so I appreciate Ma you. Maha and aham, right? Exactly. Like <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. And I hope the listeners feel the same. I mean, I'm sure they do because your episodes are always so very popular. Um, and I think that we should have another one scheduled because there are several stories that I would love to talk about in more detail. Um, so thank you for your time, your space, your energy, as always. It's been so fun to listen and learn from you today. Um, is there any final thoughts or feelings that you want to share before we part ways for the day? Don't be afraid to go down rabbit holes is all I have to say. <laughs> love a good rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you so much. Listeners, thank welcome. you so much. AP, I appreciate you. Um, yeah, everyone have a beautiful holiday season and we'll see you again soon. <laughs>